Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Podcast. I'm going to with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And it is a new look at Chicago Bulls for sure. Nikola Vucevic, Al Farouk Aminu, Daniel Tice, Javante Green, Troy Brown Jr. joining this team. And then you've got uh, Wendell Carter, Otto Porter, uh, Chandler Hutchison, and uh, Daniel Gafford going out. Did I, did I forget someone? I feel like maybe I forgot someone. Uh, but a, a new look team for sure. I really like the second of these trades, the smaller one. Uh, the Bulls also appear to have tried to get Lonzo Ball but failed. Uh, in that quest, uh, the Pelicans offering, I think, or I should, requirements were just more than the Bulls were willing to give up. That uh, seemed like they were trying to do a, a Lowry for Lonzo swap, which is, you know, something that I can see why the Pelicans decided not to do, given, you know, Lonzo's kind of run at, towards the uh, trade deadline of, of playing much better and maybe increasing his value more than Lowry did, especially given his injury. So I, I understand why that didn't go. There wasn't a whole lot I think the Bulls could add in assets, especially because the Pelicans didn't need second-rounders. The Bulls already gave up two first-rounders. I, I see why they weren't going to try and give up a third <laughs> and trade out to 2025 or 2026 uh, with uh, with that Lonzo Ball trade. So it'll be interesting to see if they acquire Ball in the offseason, who really is one of the few point guards, and, and the Bulls definitely need a point guard still, that it will be available. I, I'm not a huge fan of Lonzo Ball, but... You know, whatever. We'll we'll deal with Lonzo at some other point in time because he's actually not in the team, and there are lots of exciting pieces on the team now uh, that we can talk about. So, if you followed me on Twitter, you know that I'm probably the only one in the Bulls universe that was not doing backflips after this trade was made. Uh, that actually thought it was was not such a great move. It, it was kind of ironic, and I got news of this trade in the middle of interviewing a job candidate who uh, for for my role at work who said, hey, did you hear the Woj bomb? The Bulls just traded for Nikola Vucevic 10 minutes ago uh, when the interview started. And I thought, man, what an amazing way to, uh, to impress your, <laughs> your, your interviewer uh, to drop that knowledge. You know, clearly he had done some research on me and knew I was a huge Bulls fan, but I, I thought that was, was uh, pretty awesome. A rare opportunity for someone and an opportunity taken. So, um, you know, shout out to you, Kamar, if you actually end up uh, listening to this, this podcast. I, I thought that that was great. Uh, but it was interesting to me, you know, seeing them give up two first-round picks. If you go through and look at all the teams that make this leap from bad to good or good to elite, uh, there, there's a few paths to do so. Uh, I'm not going to pretend there's one path. There's a few paths. All of those paths kind of require, you know, being really lucky in one way or another. Yeah, no matter how you slice it, sometimes it requires guys to just decide that they want to be on your team. Uh, and you get lucky that you're Brooklyn and two superstars decide that they want to be in your team. You got cap room to sign them. You're an okay team. I mean, Brooklyn was nothing special. Sometimes it's uh, that you're in L.A. and Kawhi Leonard wants to go back there. And there you go. Or you're in L.A. and LeBron James always wanted to play for the Lakers. You know, like sometimes you have one of those situations. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a situation like that in Chicago for different guys. Chicago's got a basketball legacy. Uh, Chicago's a great city, you know, so, so the Bulls definitely have that opportunity at some times in the past. I know people say we've never signed anyone. Uh, we've always come in second, whatever. But, you know, I, there was definitely a very strong consideration for LeBron, Wade, and Bosch to all come here. You know, the, the fact that they could all team up in Miami was what made that not happen. But 
I think Chicago was definitely the second choice there. Like, you know, it's like, and that doesn't help you. We didn't win any titles. If we did, you know, that'd be great, but we didn't. And so I, I get why you don't feel like, oh, that, that, that doesn't mean anything. But it, it kind of does. Like, you're in the running, right? Like, you weren't this team that wasn't even in the running. And when you look at, like, the, the Nets and you look at the Clippers, you know, who in the last couple of years both landed multiple superstars, their history prior to landing those guys was nothing. Like, not having anyone, not doing anything ever. I mean, the Clippers are one of the maybe the worst franchise in the history of basketball prior to that moment. So, uh, you know, I, I think it could happen for Chicago. They have, they have enough of the right things in place, being a major market, having a legacy. Uh, they have enough of the major things in place that if everything else worked out them, the money was there and the opportunity was there, that guys will go there. So I, I think there's that opportunity. And we'll see if that ever happens. But I think it's up for you. And, and maybe this is that's a little segue off, but I'll, I'll wrap it back around. Uh, but the other way, you know, you typically see teams win is through the draft. And now through the draft doesn't mean that you tank necessarily. Uh, you look at Milwaukee, and they're built around a number 15 pick. Uh, the Spurs, when they drafted Kawhi Leonard, he was a number 15 pick. The Warriors picked, I want to say, Clay Thompson was 11th, but don't hold me to it, maybe he was 10th, but right around there. And Draymond Green was uh, you know, famously a second rounder. The Denver Nuggets, you know, Jamal Murray, I think was, was he 7th? And uh, Jokic was a, a second rounder. So, you know, you can, you can get these guys occasionally that are late in the draft and you can build your franchise around or in the middle of the draft and build your franchise around them. It's obviously a long shot to do it. But the teams that become really good teams are teams that do that. Even if you look at the Portland Trail Blazers where they got McCollum and, and Lillard, you know, Lillard was a 7, I believe, and McCollum, I want to say, was a 10 or 11, uh, maybe a 12, something like that. It, like those guys, they, they become the, the face of your franchise and they can lead you somewhere. You know, Donovan Mitchell, another guy who came, you know, in at the very late lottery, I believe 14. Yeah, I should really have some of these stats in front of me. But these guys, they become really powerful players for your franchise. They turn things around for you. And you don't always get them at the top lottery. Now, there are teams like the 76ers, and maybe they're the only one I can think of, who just straight out tanked and they got Embiid and Simmons, you know, at one and number three. Right? You look at the, the Thunder when they got Durant, Westbrook, and Harden. I want to say those guys were one, four, and fives or sorry, two, four, and five, and, you know, teams like that that form off these, like, you know, really elite picks. But a lot of teams, it's just you draft really well. And it, it takes a lot of luck, right? Like, it's not like you can expect to get a 14, 15 pick and draft the next Donovan Mitchell. But if you have that pick, you have that chance to do so. And so the Bulls don't have that chance in two of the next three drafts because they don't have a pick. They don't have that chance to get a star player. And, you know, if you're Karnaschovas and you're Eversley and, you know, you're feel like you guys are good drafters, you know, that's maybe not to your advantage necessarily. And I, I especially this draft would seem like a very strong draft. I mean, a lot of guys felt that there were multiple franchise-type players, potential franchise-type players in this draft. It seemed like a very strong draft. Like, you know, you don't, have, you don't have a chance. And so, you know, in that sense, I think that really hurts you because you really need that, that franchise-level talent to, to take your team to the next level. And I don't think Vucevic or, or Levine is that level of talent. And, you know, like, not to state the obvious, but Vucevic has never taken anyone to that next level. He never did that in Orlando. He's been there 10 years. It's not like he's, you know, someone who's still developing. You know, Zach, there's maybe still a little bit more potential. Definitely earlier in the season, he looked like he was that type of talent for a long time. Post-All-Star break, he's kind of struggled. Uh, we did find out he's dealing with an, an ankle injury. He looked... Pretty poor in San Antonio. Uh, this this past game, 
And so the ankle definitely played a, a role in that. Uh, but, you know, they, they aren't franchise-level talents. The Bulls definitely need another franchise-level talent. And so people will say, yeah, they're not done yet. They're not done yet. You know, they're going to still do something else. And, and I think there's probably a good chance that they will. I mean, I kind of feel like they have to. You know, Vucevic is 30, and so the clock is really ticking here. You know, he's got two and a half years left on his contract, this year and two more. And I think that's really kind of an interesting point because when he's 32, like, I don't know that you're going to want to re-sign him. And certainly you should expect him to be declined fairly considerably. If you go through and you just look at centers, they typically aren't playing nearly as long as guards in this league. And I know people will say, well, his game doesn't rely on athleticism. First, I mean, defense always relies on athleticism. He's not a great defender now. And as that becomes worse and worse because his mobility becomes less and less, it's going to be a, a bigger impact. Defense always relies on athleticism. So there's always a big impact when the guy loses athleticism. And guys who are already kind of like low athletes, when they become really low athletes, that makes their defense go from like sort of somewhat passable where you can hide them to just complete albatrosses defensively. They just can't do anything. They just, just, just can't do anything defensively. And, and that's probably what's going to happen over the next few years with him you know, or any guy really in that boat. I don't want to make it sound like Vucevic is this lone person that this is going through, but, you know, that, that's what happens when someone who's already kind of one of the slower guys on the court uh, becomes even slower. And then offensively, you start being just a little more limited. You can do a few less things. Your shot doesn't get off quite as easily. And I, I just think you should expect probably a pretty decent decline around the time his, his deal ends. And I think he will be good through the end of his deal. And so that's nice. You know, the Bulls will get this, this quality player for the rest of this year in two more years. I think that, that's, that's all well and good, but it, it, I do think you need to make something happen in this next uh, two and a half years if you're going to take advantage of this trade. And if you gave up two first-rounders, you know, clearly you're trying to do that. So clearly the Bulls need to make something happen, and, and I think they'll be aggressive. And so what does that look like? I think it's interesting because you now look at the assets to do something else. And one of the things I do like about this trade, or I do like about Vucevic in general, is his contract is very friendly. Uh, so my first thought when the Bulls traded him was like, oh, man, you got no cap, you got no picks, uh, you know, you don't have really any trade assets. This is really going to be tough to, to, to recover from and, and, and make this other move. Like, you need to make another move. And so now, you know, with a couple days to go through it and look at it around it, it's, it's a little better than I thought. So first, the cap situation for the Bulls is really pretty interesting. They could generate max cap space this summer if they let Thad and Sato go and uh, let Lowry go. And they, they could have max cap room this summer for a seven-year max guy, uh, right around that amount. And they can do the same thing next summer as long as they don't add anyone with a salary that's long-term to the roster, uh, and they, they can have that same amount of space. And that's because uh, Zach Levine's, uh, I shouldn't say qualifying, his uh, salary cap hold is not that high. It, it's uh, $29 million next year. Uh, and, you know, Vucevic's contract is declining, and then there won't be any other heavy, heavy cap things on the roster. So, they could still have uh, max, max space next year, even with Zach as a pending free agent. And then they would you know, sign Zach to his 35 or whatever million-dollar deal, and then they would just wait to announce that signing officially until after they do their other moves, you know, pending that they come to an agreement with Zach and all, all those kinds of good things. So they can have max cap space uh, in the next few years. Now, this year coming up, there's like no one. There, there's no one available, uh, and it would be weird. I think the Bulls' best move in the offseason – uh, from a cap perspective, is to keep that, keep Sato, uh, maybe keep Lowry on a one-year deal if, you can, if he can't find something else. I, I think Lowry's situation is going to depend a lot on what happens with him the rest of the year, and I'll, I'll get into that later. 
Uh, but you keep that inside out because their $25 million roughly uh, that you owe them is, is going to be around the same. You can free up in, in salary space, and you maybe just operate as an over-the-cap team. You know, try to find the next Garrett Temple or another guy like that who can come in for a one-year deal and, and be an impact player for you and, and see where things go from there. I think, I think that's probably what the Bulls' best move this summer looks like is to do something in that realm and then uh, you know, look at free agents next year. Now, the, the other thing they might consider doing, and I think the tricky thing about this is if you want to try to make a play for Alonzo and you want to make it a cap room play, you got to let these guys go before you know whether you're going to get them or not. And then if you let them go and you miss on him, man, there's not really a lot else out there uh, to do with your cap room. And, and so I think that becomes a really dangerous situation for Chicago if they try to pursue Lonzo through free agency. Now, they could also try to pursue Lonzo through a sign-in trade. That can be a little bit tricky because of base year compensation issues and trying to figure out how uh, you're going to move things around. Uh, but it'll be interesting. The Bulls clearly need to add something else to this team uh, in, in order to compete you know, going forward. So uh, I think what they might do is look then to the trade market to try and fill these things in. And so you start looking at the trade assets because it might be difficult to sign someone next year. Now you go out to 2022, and it's a really kind of a wild free agent year. Like all the stars from the Nets and Kawhi and a bunch of people are eligible to become free agents, but they're all going to be like 33, 34 years old. And you wonder like, it would be kind of like signing Chris Paul to his massive deal. Like, is that the, the you want the guy for like 33 to 30, you know, 6, 33, 34, 35, 36, like those seasons? Is that like, how good are those guys going to be at that point? And you're going to have to pay them a huge amount of money. Plus, they'll all be 10-year guys, so their max will be in the 40s, and the Bulls won't have that much cap room. Uh, but maybe you could do something. But it, it, it'll be a little bit more interesting. There's certainly at least a lot of options out there. And if the Bulls are playing really well, you could see where maybe one of them wants to come here. And I think that'll be the intriguing thing. Like, if you're the Clippers and things start going south and Kawhi demands out, do the Bulls have the type of assets to make a trade for Kawhi Leonard? Uh, would be maybe like one of those things that you know, is on the table. And so you start looking at what assets the Bulls have and what they can do, and you know, it's basically Patrick Williams uh, seems like a pretty good asset right now. We have to see how quickly he develops, and I think a lot of the Bulls' future relies on Patrick Williams, which is it's kind of crazy, but I think a lot of it relies on him. And then you've got Kobe White, and then you've got draft picks starting in 2025-ish, you can, I mean, you can't trade 2025 unconditionally because the 2023 could convey in 2024, but you can do one of these. If the 2023 doesn't convey in 2024, then I give up the 2025, and if not, I give them the 2026, um, and, and probably the 2023 will convey, you know, even if the Bulls somehow become one of the worst teams in the league, even the worst team in the league, they still have a 50% chance of not being in the top four, so, you know, that, that, that pick is, is really likely to convey no matter what happens with this team, whether it's successful or not. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see where, where things go there. But so that's kind of like the package you have is you're going to have maybe uh, Sadoransky on an expiring deal and Thad Young on an expiring deal that you used to match salaries, uh, Pat Williams, Kobe White, and uh, maybe a future pick. Like that's what you're going to have to offer. Now maybe you sign Lowry to an extension depending on what happens with him this rest of the season, which, which would be an interesting thing to monitor. Yeah, if you sign him to an extension where he becomes a tradable deal, then you know maybe you can have him as an asset as well. I always caution people, never think you can sign a guy and then he'll be valuable to trade later. 
because if, if you sign a guy, you're basically saying, I think this guy is worth more than everyone else does. And so if he continues to get better, then yes, you can trade him. But if he doesn't, uh, then he's, you already overpaid more than everyone else in the league was willing to pay him. So the odds that other people are going to look at him as an asset are, are maybe a little bit less. Now, that can change as well, depending on the economics of the NBA. If the salary cap goes up a lot or other, other things can make contracts that once looked bad look a lot better. And uh, we'll see, see how all of those things shake out. So uh, when I do look at this team, I think they do need to make another move. I think everyone expects them to make another move. It's hard for me to see what that other move is going to be. And the reason this all really kind of hinges on Patrick Williams is, you know, watching Kobe White now, I don't think any of us think he's going to be a huge trade asset. He's played pretty poorly this year overall and maybe wasn't in the best spot to succeed and, and kind of was put in a spot that was over his head. And, you know, that's just the way it goes. But he, he hasn't had a good season, so I don't think his trade value is particularly high. You know, going into next year, it, say it's the trade deadline and you don't move him in the offseason, you know, he's only got a year and a half left on his rookie deal. And he kind of then becomes like the trade value of, like, say, Wendell Carter, where it's like, yeah, he's a reclamation project at this point. So unless Kobe really does something between now and the time that you're looking to trade him, his, his trade value is going to be fairly low. Like maybe it's he's worth like a mid to late first, uh, you know, like and, and probably towards like a pick. He's probably worth like a pick in the 20s at this point. And so that's not like super enticing. Now, Patrick Williams, on the other hand, part of it is it's like, oh, wow, he's looked really good for a 19-year-old. And so that's good. I think his trade value now is pretty high. I, I, like, I don't think it's like superstar centerpiece high, but I, I think it's pretty high. And so for Patrick Williams to continue to having high trade value, what you're going to need to see from him is continued improvement and growth. So like Kobe White at some point last year, like towards the end of the season where he's just dropping 30 points on people left and right and going into this season, and even in preseason where he was shooting lights out and, and looked really, really good uh, at, at times, people would have said, yeah, Kobe White's trade value might actually be pretty decent. But then as soon as you level off, if you're a young player and you have like three months where you just level off, your trade value like just dips really fast. And so for Patrick Williams to maintain high trade value, he's going to need to continue to grow and look better and better and better the whole time. Now, he could have a bad year, come back and have a great third year, and maybe that helps you in that third year when he's playing better, but it won't help his trade value in the second year. So there is, there is like a large expectation of growth for these young players each year, and, and their trade value can vary tremendously uh, because their value on the court can change so much in such a short period of time. And so you have a little hiccup, and that, that value can dip. But I, I think Williams' trade value is pretty good right now. I don't know that centerpiece of a, a great trade good, but it's, it's good. And so when you're looking at what they can offer, it will be something like what's the best we can offer a team, and Patrick Williams seems like the best thing you can offer another team. And so maybe he's a guy that you look to move. And I, I think that would make a lot of Bulls fans pretty sad because he's also a guy we'd like to see develop. But you start looking at the timeline, as I discussed earlier, of Vucevic and Levine, and the timeline is pretty short here. I think you really have to put something together to in, in two and a half years if you want this trade to be a good trade for you. And so, as, as I said, I mean, you gave up, you gave up your, your possibility of landing a star through the draft in, in two of the next three years uh, and, and building something long-term through the draft. So now you've said, hey, we're going to try and make things happen through agency, through trades, whatever. This is, this is what we're going to do. We're going to try and go all in, and, and here we go. Uh, so so you, you do have to now start looking. Patrick Williams' timeline it probably does not match Nikola Vucevic's timeline. And 
if you wanted to build around Patrick Williams, you think he's a future star player, and I think that's very dicey to think that. But if you did think that, you know, this was not really the trade you make. Instead, you'd be, you'd be patient. You add another asset in this draft, and, and you go from there. Now, uh, across all this backdrop is, of course, the fact that Zach Levine really wants to win. He wants to be in the playoffs. He doesn't want to be out again. And so you want to keep Zach Levine, and so there's pressure. There's legitimate real pressure to make a move to keep Zach Levine here. And so the Bulls, I'm not going to say they gave in to that pressure, but they looked at it at least the same way. They wanted to win. They wanted to be better right away, and so they made this move. And that, that also helps position them to keep Zach Levine, assuming that this works out and the Bulls make it to the playoffs. Now, the, the reverse could also be true. I don't know that Zach would look at it this way because I don't think players analyze teams in the same way that like fans or GMs do. They're not looking at it from this you know, long-run perspective that we would. You know, they wouldn't look at, like, what are the assets around this team? Do they have cap room to get better? Do they have trade assets to get better? Do they have lots of draft picks that are going to be good? Do they maybe bring in a star? Like, they're, they're not really looking at it, like, all of the things from that nuance. Generally, I think they're looking like, yeah, who are my teammates? Are they good or are they not good? And so, from a fan perspective, if this fails and the Bulls don't make the playoffs this year, uh, I feel pretty, pretty negative about what the team's going to do next year, right? And if I'm Zach Levine, I'd feel even probably more negative about that. But Zach might not feel that way. Zach might actually think like, yep, oh, we got a lot more talent. It's going to take us a little bit of time for everyone to practice and get together. And I think, you know, just seeing this first game against San Antonio, it, it was very clear that's true, right? You know, watching the game, especially defensively, they, they were all out of sorts. Offensively, they're, they're just over-moving the ball, and they weren't sure how to get each other involved. And plus, Zach is kind of hurting, playing on one leg. So, you know, it just wasn't uh, an, an ideal uh, scenario. But, you know, they, he still may look at it. It's like, yeah, we got, we got some guys. We can do some stuff. You know, this maybe is going to be better. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. And so looking at the Bulls, it, where the next move comes from, you know, there are some, some possibilities in free agency. I think it's going to be tricky to take advantage of that. But there, there is money there to spend. There are some possibilities in trade. And, and what it mean is you're probably going to have to trade Patrick Williams uh, to bring something in. One thing I think is really highly likely if I'm Chicago is I'm gonna, whoever wants Lowry Markkinen, and uh, someone I think will want him, uh, especially because it's a weak free agent here. Like Lowry might be one of the second or third best free agents in this class, uh, you know, given his youth and, and current ability. Uh, you know, some of the guys who maybe are better are guys you really only want to go in on for like one or two years. One of the things I think could definitely happen here that would make sense for a team is you find a team under the cap, they want to pay Lowry $20 million. They pay Lowry $20 million. You send a second rounder to them. They send a second rounder to you or some other exchange of irrelevant assets. And then now the Bulls have a $20 million trade exception they can use uh, at the deadline to try and bring in a player uh, and uh, improve the team. And I, I think that would be a good way to swap Lowry out and bring something back in uh, for the team. So I, I think the Bulls will maybe look to do that because – it doesn't really feel to me that it's highly likely that Lowry is going to be a player that fits in well with uh, this team uh, as reconstructed. I don't see Lowry next to Vucevic uh, being a, a very good fit. You know, neither of these guys are, are defenders. Yeah, I could see where maybe Vucevic's passing and ability as a player opens up more shots, uh, more open looks for Lowry. But Lowry is already getting quite a few open looks. So I don't know that that's going to get a whole lot better. Uh, I'm not sure that even though those guys are both really big and like theoretically you might be able to take advantage of their size in some way it, and there might be some synergy there where you can dominate these smaller teams. But 
from what we've seen of Lowry in the past, he doesn't seem generally capable of making great use of his size to dominate teams. Uh, so it doesn't feel like that's going to be a great option. Maybe there's some something there that can be unlocked if, if Lowry can do that, but it's not something we've seen a whole lot of so far. So I think this is not really a great fit defensively when your starters are Lowry, Vucevic, and Levine, and, and they had Pat Williams and Sadoransky in there you know, in this game. You know, I look at that, and I'm like, man, I, just, I feel like you have to get Thad back in the starting lineup. You've got to move Lowry to the bench. I don't know why they're so committed to this guy. He just doesn't seem like a good fit going forward. But for whatever reason, they seem to really be in love with him. I have a very different opinion than I am of him. Uh, but I think you've got to get Lowry to the bench. You've got to put that in. Uh, you've got to get another defender in there. You just gotta, you know. Like I just, I just feel like you can't have three defensive sieves, especially when two of them are your front court players. Uh, I just don't see how that's gonna work. You have to get another defender in there. Now the Bulls will have plenty of time to work through rotations. I definitely expect things to be fluid. Uh, I would not not expect anything to happen in this one game to necessarily mean anything going forward. You know, looking at the team, I, I'm curious to see what happens with. Uh, Troy Brown Jr., I'm curious to see what happens with Daniel Tice when he rejoins the team. Uh, give the Bulls another defensive option. Uh, Javante Green is another guy. is a little bit intriguing. I, I really kind of like this, this secondary trade of, of Tice, Green, and Brown. You know, those are, those are three guys. I mean, and, and Tice will probably only be here for this year. But those are three guys I, I, I kind of like as guys you can take a chance on and see if something works out. You know, Troy Brown feels like a great reclamation project uh, of someone who has some potential to be a solid player. You know, in, in the first game, I, I think he, he played okay. You know, it's hard for me to take anything out, especially because it's kind of really like, like almost this whole game was garbage time. So it, it, it was, it's tough to, to really feel anything about that. You know, Javante Green's got a lot of athleticism. Maybe, maybe he unlocks something. So I think these are some guys that are okay to take a chance on. But they are guys that are like fighting to be like the eighth man type of guys, you know, seven, eighth man type guys. They aren't guys who are currently like looking like, oh, this is going to be a star guy. You know, if, if these guys work out, I think it's more like, yes, one of these guys works out and becomes, you know, like a, a sixth, seventh, eighth guy in the rotation. Uh, you know, maybe if, if it goes incredibly well, becomes like a fifth guy in the rotation. And I don't want to say sixth man, because sixth man often implies uh, a level of talent, but like sixth guy in the rotation is very different than that. Like the sixth man is often like your third or fourth best player on your team. Sixth guy in your rotation is, is just a little bit different. So I think they're, they're kind of fighting for those types of spots. Uh, but I did like that move. I don't, I don't think we really lost anything whatsoever in Chandler Hutchison. And uh, I think Gafford is, is another guy I can see why another team would take a chance on. Yeah, but we saw him for a while, and I, and I think it was fine to, for us to give up on him to take a chance on these other guys instead. I think that was you know, more than okay as a risk uh, for the Bulls to do. So you know, overall, I think what you've got to look at is the Bulls are going to need to make other changes uh, and, you know, I said I've been negative about this, this, this trade, and I think so far I've mainly just been talking about the, uh, you know, the fit on the court. But here, here's my, ch my problem is, like, we don't have the chance to get better in the draft. We have a very small window. If Vucevic was two, three years younger, I would feel entirely different about this trade. You know, I'd feel entirely different. But Vucevic is in the middle of a career year. People have said, like, oh, we got two all-stars now. And that's, that's true. But this is one of those things where people put a tag on a guy to make him sound better than he is. And, and I, don't, I, lo I love Zach Levine. Uh, yeah, I think Vucevic is a good player. But these guys are fringe all-stars. When people say we got two all-stars, they, you know, they're kind of implying like we got Le you know, LeBron and AD, or we got KD and, and Harden. Like, 
you know, we, we, we got guys who are, are barely all-stars. You know, in something like 17 years on the NBA courts, they have three combined all-star appearances. So, you know, we have like fringe all-stars. And maybe Zach is a guy who is going to start making it with some regularity. You know, maybe he's going to make it every other year, depending what happens with the team or something now. Like maybe he has now stepped into that, that upper echelon of players. Uh, I could see that. But Vucevic, is, I mean, he's been in the league 10 years, and he's made it twice. You know, like I just, I just don't see him as someone who's, you're going to say, like, yeah, this is a consistent all-star uh, type of guy. And he's also made it because he's a center, like, <laughs> and there's a lot fewer quality, you know, front court players than there are back court players. So I think, I think part of that is, is one of those deals too. So and I like him; he's a good player. But when people say that, it's, it's, it's the way to kind of make the team sound better than it, than it really is. I mean, these are, these are like D-list stars. I'm not sure either of these guys are necessarily a top 20 players, and if they are, I don't think either of them are top 15 for sure. And so if you're building your team around two guys who are not top 15 players and they're, they're one-way players and they're not defensive players, it's really tricky to do unless you have a whole ton of talent around them. You know, like just your, the rest of your players are you know, two-way quality players, like maybe – you know, guys, you have like maybe two or three more guys who are, say, in the top 50 or 60. Even if they're not in, you know, the top, like, 15, 20, you're going to need, like, you know, three guys in the top 100 besides these guys. And, you know, the Bulls just don't have that. And they, they don't really have ways to acquire that. So I, th- I think that's the, the difficult thing here is you're, you're building around B-list stars. And you, you look at, like, teams, who is the comparison? Who is the team that's built around two B-list stars uh, that you think is, is a really great team? and becomes really good. I just, it's really hard to figure that out. And so you're then hoping that one of these guys kind of turns into an A-list star. I think there's some chance that happens with Zach Levine. Like I said, he's consistently gotten better every year. Would it shock me if Zach came back even better next year? Uh, how could it? How could it after watching him every year as a bull? Like, it just couldn't. So, yeah, maybe Zach's got potential to still move up into that, that range. Vucevic, though, uh, I think you should be expecting him to just slowly decline. You know, I, I mean, like at 31, he, you really think he's going to be better? Like that just seems pretty unlikely to me that it goes that way. And you know, we'll see. And that that window for the Bulls is just becomes very short, and that also puts pressure on you to make all of these other moves uh, in a very short time frame and have them work immediately. And it's just hard for me to see uh, where all of that fits together. And then you go three years if this doesn't fit in together, and this doesn't work out well. And, and so say the Bulls make the playoffs for the next three years, losing the first round every year. That's kind of like what I think will happen. If that happens, and now Vucevic is, is in decline, and you're going to have to debate about what type of deal to give him at, you know, to play at 33, 34, 35, and 36, like those will be the years he plays for you, and you have to figure out like how much is, is he worth for these, these seasons, and it ends up being you know, pretty expensive. I, I, just, I just don't know where you go from there. And then now you, you've lost kind of like your war chest of assets, your, your best chances of getting a star player for a few years because you, you traded them to get this guy. I think it's just going to be just going to be really tough. And, you know, we'll see what happens. You, know, you also may have lost on, on Wendell Carter. I'm not you know, sad that <laughs> we got Vucevic for Carter because Vucevic is clearly better. But, you know, you also gave up on, on a player that still had a chance to, to do something. Uh, in this league, and uh, you know, I think Carter was probably on a track to be a high-end backup, low-end starter. 
so that's, that's probably not a really big risk whatsoever, but uh, you know, it's going to be hard to figure out how you improve going forward. And I, th I think what we're going to see is three first round exits, and then we're going to start a real a rebuild again. And that rebuild is going to be uh, done without the typical amount of assets uh, that you would have uh, while trying to rebuild. You know, that if I had a choice of what I was going to do with this team, I, I would rather be a team like the Thunder, where I had expanded my war chest of of assets uh, in the future to be very large, and then uh, you know hope to get lucky uh, in the draft through lots and lots of different options, rather than a team like the Bulls who kind of went in all in on the players they have. Like like we're going all in on Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic. Uh, this is this is the group we think we can build a team around. That's going to be something special. Uh, I just I just don't think the total talent is is there. You know, it just you, you need more than this, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I'm, I will enjoy watching this team because I do think they're going to be better than they were. I, I think they will work things out. I think the San Antonio game was a little bit of a fluke. I do expect them to get much better than this. I don't think it's, it's, it's going to be this much of a struggle after they get some practice time together, uh, figure out the rotations, get these guys used to the defense. Uh, it's just a lot of new guys to play for each other because even, even in these trades, you got guys coming from Washington, uh, from Boston and from Orlando. So you got guys, like even all the new guys haven't played together yet. And then there's a lot of new guys on the team. So it's going to take some time for these guys to figure out what's going on. So I do expect that to get a lot better this year. And I expect the team to be uh, in a better spot next year. It's just the ceiling of this, probably not so high. And so, you know, we'll see. More enjoyable. Uh, I hate, hate to try and, you know, take the, the air out of everyone's balloons. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's better than I think it will be, and hopefully Bulls fans can be excited. Uh, the one thing I think people are most excited for is, like, this was just a really aggressive move in the last front office. They weren't aggressive in making moves, and uh, they, they did make aggressive pitches to, like, all of the star players and A-listers, and they were able to get their share of B-listers, like Ben Wallace, Carlos Boozer, Paul Gasol. But they never were able to get an A-lister, and I'm a little surprised how excited Bulls fans are to get a B-list player and say, well, we were just super aggressive. I love, I love how aggressive you are. Being aggressive to make moves that are like so, so in value uh, is not always a good thing. You know, it's also how you can really hamstring your franchise for a long period of time. So I, I'm against the just cheering for aggression. Uh, it, it's sort of maybe nice to see as a change of pace. I can get why... Uh, we like that. You know, I, I love the Daniel Tice, Javante Green, and Troy Brown trade in, in that sense. Uh, but from a just, oh, I'm, I'm so glad we did something just because it's different, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, the grass just isn't always greener. You know, I, I, if we aggressively got an A-lister, I'd feel a lot different about it than, than uh, what we did. So anyway, I, again, I'm sorry. Hopefully that wasn't too depressing for you. But hopefully it also gives you a little bit of a, a feel for what the Bulls might do next, what kind of assets they have to, to make those moves, and what could happen in the future. So that'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat, and hopefully I will uh, have enough time to, to start recording regularly again and talk to you next week. If not, uh, you can always catch me on the Big Red Bus with Fred Pfeiffer. Uh, that one, because Fred organizes it and does all the work, uh, it usually uh, drags me into it and harasses me. Uh, I can always find some time, so I will at least be on that regularly, and I will uh, hopefully talk to you soon.